I'm a black believer in Jesus, trying to bring back believers in Jesus to try to look past his olive complexion to Afro-Semitic features and see the Savior of the world, King of the universe, featured on the throne, sitting majestically as Isaiah pictured. As mentioned in the scriptures, the Hebrew people knew because of sin, we were sinfully skewed towards eternal death in the slave ship that carried every hue, shackled and chains like the captors of an Amistad from the point of no return till the Messiah took our place and faced Calvary and granted us a righteousness we didn't earn, turned the guilty into exonerated citizens, all because the Son of God left heaven and pitched his tent with men, experienced our temptations, wasn't appalled and shot with our, with our weakness but showed us how to overcome this carnal prison system. He's our victory, lifted every infirmity, including mental illnesses, sympathetic to our struggles, the everyday hustle, understood what was missing. His peace is the piece to our puzzle. He's the revolution that will not be televised, though when our God arrives, all eyes will see him. Arise, O oh God, and, and take possession of the nations, redeem creation, your glory, our testimony, where we confess our confession, Protestant acknowledge him, the resurrection. There's correlation between Christ and liberation. There's correlation between Christ and liberation, between justice and vindication, between grace, mercy, and salvation. We bring about justification. We brag about justification because we've made it. There's a future hope if we're patient and we wait the day that we can face him. Until that great day, we just praise him. Until that great day, we just praise him because on that great day, we can thank him. Oh, happy day, we can thank him. Mm. Mm. There are many people who look to the political system to, to save us. They go to the election booth to select a leader that they believe will save this country from the brink of disaster. And depending on the issues that they feel strongly about determines the type of leader that they would like to select. For the past two weeks, we've been focused on the impeachment trial. Some of us felt that justice was not served. Others of us felt vindication. It has gotten so ugly in our political discourse that, that, uh, that, sorry, it has gotten so ugly in our political discourse that our conversation with each other uh, when it comes to politics has just turned ugly. I think the problem is that we are looking for salvation in the political scene and we have made God subservient to political ideologies that he must either be Republican or Democrat rather than the one that's seated on a throne above the principalities. I want to let you know that God's ways are above our political ways and his thoughts are above our political thoughts. And whether Donald Trump is impeached, voted out, or granted another four years, God will accomplish his purposes throughout the earth. Our allegiance is not to the United, is not to the United States of America. Our allegiance is to God, his Messiah, the kingdom of God. And if I can quote Nars Barkley, the question that I want to ask you after seeing the insufficiencies in our humanity, in our political system, in our justice system, who is going to save our souls now? Amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 21, and we're going to look at it from the NASB. It's my favorite version. <laughs> the passion is okay. <laughs> oh, pray for me. Verse 18, so now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with the child, with child by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. It's interesting that it, he, he calls Joseph and identifies Joseph as the son of David. There's only 
think about two people in the entire New Testament that have ever been addressed or called son of David. One is Joseph, the other one is Jesus, which gives us somewhat of a indication that had the uh, throne uh, succeeded from Solomon down, and had there still been um, a, a representative of David that was sitting on a physical throne in Israel, Joseph would have been in line uh, to become the king of Israel. But it says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Our relationship with God is in his son, Jesus Christ. What sets us apart from all the religions is Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we absolutely have nothing. The promises that we have from God is in Jesus the Christ. Our allegiance is to Jesus the Christ. The person that we worship is Jesus the Christ. The rapper T.I. in an interview uh, with V103, uh, Morning Culture, which is a show that comes on V103 between 6 to 10, they interviewed him and they, you know, they wanted to get his religious opinion. And this is a show that reaches those who are between the ages of 15 to 40 years old. That's their core demographic. So you have a lot of millennials that tune into the show. And, him, and because he's a rapper, you can imagine how many people, had, how many young people had tuned in just to hear what T.I. had to say. This is what T.I. said. How can God be a jealous God, but at the same time in the Bible, Jesus claimed to be the only one to the Father? He said that the church cannot have it both ways, that this is a contradiction. How about Oprah Winfrey? When she had her uh, show, the Oprah Winfrey show, she said to her audience, Jesus cannot possibly be the only way. And I believe that the reason why the, the culture reduces Jesus is because the church has reduced Jesus. Most of our popular preachers do not talk about Jesus. Most of our teachings are me-centered, sprinkled with a little bit of Jesus. Therefore, we know less about Jesus and more about what we need Jesus to do for me. Some of our popular worship music, if I can be honest, are me-centered because I hear more about me than I hear more about Jesus. I hear more about me than I hear more about what God has done and who God is. So if you was to ask the typical person after having a worship experience, could you tell me about God, then it's almost as if there's a, a, shortage, uh, a shortening of the answer because they can tell you about me, but have very little to say about God. Thank God we are in this church where we glorify Jesus, Amen. where we promote Jesus. Our core values for this assembly are to be a people that pray, serve, share, and give. And if we're going to be a people who pray. We need, to be, we need to have a growing knowledge of the God who we are praying to. If we're going to be a church that, that serves, we need, to be, we need to be a church that knows the God who we desire to serve and what he desires for us to, how he desires for us to serve. If we're going to be a, a church that gives, we need to know the reason why we give. And if we're going to be a church that shares, then we need to know the God that we are sharing. I want us to be clear on this eternal truth that it is to reject Yeshua is to reject God's salvation. Yes. And therefore, to share Jesus is to share God's salvation. Yes, sir. Amen. I was communicating with the Job witness, and she said to me that if Jesus is such a big deal as the Christians profess, then why is it that his name is nowhere in the Old Testament? And me being the astute individual that I am, <laughs> I jumped the gun and I said, you're right, his name is not in the Old Testament. And I said that with a lack of knowledge. 
And what I intend to show you is that the name of Jesus is, is not a New Testament invention, but God's consistent, continual message to his people, even in the Old Testament scriptures. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says, So the messenger told, Jesus, she will, that, told Joseph that she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In the, in the Jewish culture, the male child was named on the eighth day. It was the same time that they were circumcised, affirming that they are partakers in the Abrahamic covenant. And if they were a firstborn male child, then typically they were the ones that was dedicated to God. And so Jesus' parents took him to the temple because that's where typically they would go if you were a firstborn child. You would be taken to the temple, and, and at the temple, at the point of circumcision, your parents would then announce what your name is going to be, and the priest would declare uh, blessings over the life of the child. And we see that in Luke chapter 2, verse 27 to 28. You don't have to go there, but please put it in your notes so that you can take a look at it later. In that culture and in many Eastern cultures today, a person's name was chosen with careful thought and consideration. When my wife was pregnant with my son, I had suggested that his name should be Israel. And of course, at that time, uh, she didn't necessarily, she was not necessarily on board with calling him Israel. So we put it to God in prayer. And the minute we put it to God in prayer, he began to confirm that his name would be Israel because everywhere we would go, we would run into somebody whose name was Israel. I remember when I was, when I was going to seminary and the first time that I bought a laptop, the person that sold us the laptop worked at Best Buy, his name was Israel. <laughs> My sister's uh, father-in-law, his name is Israel. And so it's just this constant confirmation that the name that we were going to give our son was the name that God has chosen. Because the name represents a person's character, purpose, and destiny, they didn't just give you any name. Your name carried significance. It represents the very essence of who you are. For example, my name is Ledum. And in my culture, Ledum means good character, good live. In other words, when you hear my name or somebody who hears my name in my culture, they associate my name or me with somebody who has an, uh, a, a moral, upright uh, way of living, someone who has a good character. And so I hope to represent that to you at all times, but this was how, this is what they named me, and therefore there was an expectation that every time that, that my name was called, here goes somebody who is good character, who is good live, who lives good, who is morally upright. When a child is given a name, it sometimes connects that child with a well-respected figure in that community. The Apostle Paul's uh, Jewish name is Saul, which means asked for, prayed for. Interesting that the, the first person that we, that we run into whose name is Saul in the Bible was who became the king of Israel, he was asked for. They asked, you know, God, they asked God to give them a king. God gave them exactly what they asked for. <laughs> Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. And so was uh, King Saul. How about this for fun? How many of you would name your child Judas? Okay. How many of you would name your child Judah? Do you know that Judah and Judas is the same name? <laughs> the name Judah means Yahweh is praised. We had Judas fail to live up the name that God has given them. But when they called the name Judas, the idea was that this person would be the one who would praise Yahweh, that his life would declare praises to Yahweh.
So we know that names are important and significant. Therefore, the name Jesus is expected to have significance and have meaning to the Jewish people because according to the angel, he will save his people from their sins. Here's where things get interesting. The name or the pronunciation of Jesus has no inherent meaning in the Hebrew language. It came as a result of a transliteration of a transliteration of a transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yehoshua. And if you can go to the first uh, screen, the first uh, PowerPoint. So we hear that, we see that the, the name that Jesus was given we see it in the English as Jesus, but the actual pronunciation was Yeshua, which is the short version of the Hebrew Yehoshua. When they translated his name to Greek, in order to identify him as a male, they added an S to the name and dropped the A. So it ended up becoming Jesus. They didn't have, um, they didn't have uh, J's back then and there was no Y that translated into the Greek language. So they basically made that an I. So his name was pretty, pretty much spelled out as Jesus. And that's in the Greek Septuagint, which is the, uh, Old, which is the Old Testament, um, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, where you have the Hebrew version, you have the Greek, uh, Greek version of the Old Testament, you would see Jesus for certain characters in the Bible, including Joshua. When it got moved to Latin, they dropped uh, the O and it became Jesus, I-E-S-U-S. When they brought it to the English language, um, they then changed it to Jesus. But what you will find interesting, if you have the uh, KJV 1611, you can actually go to the next slide. I think I have it up there. If you have the KJV 1611, you will see it says, you will see that his name, and it says that and she shall bring forth a sonne, or a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So in, the math, in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, in the KJV 1611, Jesus was spelled I-E-S-U-S. You can imagine some of the songs we're singing today where we're like, J-E-S-U-S how that would have been during that time. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with saying the name Jesus, uh, so please don't get me wrong. I don't want anybody to be under uh, that kind of, how you want to call it, that kind of uh, uh, condemnation. If you use the name Jesus, we preach Jesus, there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying the name Jesus. But... What I wanted to point out is that trans, uh, transliterations, where you change the name, where you would pretty much convert the letters to fit your, um, your modern-day uh, language, um, it doesn't, translations do not maintain the original meaning of the name. So when, so when we see Jesus, it is, again, we, it's, it's Yeshua. And what they understood in those days, if I was to teleport myself back to, um, to, to Israel in the first century, and I say, hey, I, I'm looking for Jesus, they would look at me and say, who are you talking about? Who is Jesus? Because, again, the name was Yeshua at that time. So when we say Yeshua, we are proclaiming the name that saves. When we say Jesus, we are proclaiming the name that saves. So Matthew chapter 1, um, verse 21, if we read it in there, we, he states that his name shall be called Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins. This passage ties Yeshua with the function of Savior. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, the writer says, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Next PowerPoint. Yeshua is in the saving business because he is one with the Father who is in the saving business. The Hebrew word Yasha means to save, it means to deliver. Have you ever been in a situation where you ask God to deliver you? 
where you ask God to save you. Yasha denotes a tangible saving or delivering. When God promises to deliver you, depending on your situation, there is an expectation that God will act because that is what he does. That is who he is. He is a savior. I remember um, back in, in things, during the time of Thanksgiving, I was at, I was at a moment of crisis in which I was having um, a situation with my, with my employer, with my supervisor, and we were basically butting heads. And it got so tense in there that I, I, that I didn't know whether I had a job coming back from Thanksgiving. That's how tense it was. And I remember I began to pray to God, God, save me. God, deliver me. And God delivered me. God saved me. So when you pray to God and you ask for God to save you, when you ask for God to yasha you, he will show up. He will show up because that is who he is. He is a savior. Throughout the Psalms, David would sing and pray to God, recognizing him as the one who saves when Israel is in trouble. Psalm 28, verse 9. Psalm 28, verse 9. It, was, it says, save your people, bless your possession, shepherd them, and carry them forever. Psalm chapter 30, verse 40. Psalm 30, 37, sorry, 37, verse 40. That's on me. And I'll read. It says, the Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. He delivers his people from danger. Isaiah 41 verse 25 says, Declare what is to be present. What it, what, declare what is to be presented. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God, no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Only he has the power of Yasha to save, to deliver. He is not bound by time and space. He is not limited to region. He is near and present. God is Savior. We identify Yeshua with Yahweh because he is Savior. In the Old Testament, only God was credited with saving his people Israel. He deployed many methods to save, but ultimately the glory and the power to save, to redeem, was resident with him. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 7. This is what we call the song of Moses that the Israelites led by Moses saying when God saved them from the very present danger of Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, and as we read this, as we read this passage, we're going to see something amazing. It says, Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and this is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his armies he has cast into the sea, and the choices of his officers are drowned in, in the Red Sea. The deeps, uh, the deeps cover them. They went down in the depths like a stone. Your right hand, excuse me, your right hand, O oh Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O oh Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. This, this passage has Jesus all over it. One, the phrase right hand is mentioned twice in verse six and verse, in ver, in verse six. 
says, this is what we call an anthropomorphism. In other words, we associate um, uh, human parts to God in order to convey um, truths about God. Have you ever heard, you know, have you ever seen in the scripture where it says that God has a mouth, that God speaks? God doesn't really have a physical mouth because the question would be, does he have teeth? <laughs> does he have gums? <laughs> This is what we call anthropomorphism. We, have a, we are associating something that we as humans can relate to and apply it to God. Well, in this particular passage, the anthropomorphism is his right hand, is his arm, which represents, which represents his strength, which represents his power in the Semitic culture. In other words, his, his, his right hand signifies his majesty. The ancient patriarchs usually would bless their children and grandchildren with their right hands, as with the case of Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel. When, Jacob, when, when Israel blessed the children of Joseph, there was Ephraim and there was Manasseh. Who was the oldest? Pop quiz. Manasseh was the oldest. Manasseh, by, 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 by cultural standards, would be the one whose right hand would be placed upon him. However, what Joseph did is that he stretched, when he stretched his right hand, when he, I'm sorry, what Jacob did is that when he stretched his hand to bless the children of Joseph, pretty much giving them stature as the children, uh, as his very own children, one right hand went to Ephraim, the, other, the left hand went to uh, Manasseh. And what that signified, and Joseph caught this, what that signified is that Ephraim, who was the second, who was Joseph's second child, is now going to be considered the firstborn. And Manasseh, who was, his, who was his firstborn biologically, was now going to be in the second place in comparison to his younger brother. The right hand symbolizes God's power, God's majesty. It also symbolizes preeminence. Ephraim has preeminence over Manasseh. This is why when Jesus announced to the high priest that he would be seen sitting at the right hand of God, the, the priest declared it blasphemy because Jesus was identifying himself as the power of God or being equal to God. Acts chapter 7, verse 55 to 56, the testimony of Stephen claiming to see Jesus standing at the right hand was a statement that sent him to his death because he identified, uh, he identified Jesus as the one at the right hand. We have in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 9, the, what we call the arm of Yahweh, anthropomorphism. God doesn't actually have an arm or a hand, but he identified this particular, this figure in the scriptures is identified as his arm. And it states that his arm destroyed, uh, destroyed Rahab, which was another way of saying Egypt in the text. In Isaiah 53, verse 1, the arm of Yahweh, or the arm of the Lord, was depicted as the suffering servant that, one, that, that was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The very power of God, shown here, in a sense, as what we appear or what we think is his weakness. Reminds me of that, that scripture um, that says that, uh, that he has confound the wise with the foolish things and confounded the strong with the weak things of this world. So when God saves you, when he delivers you, he sends his right hand, Jesus Christ. Think about that. He spares no resources. He's all in. He ensures that the job is done. When he covenants with you, he gives you the right hand of fellowship. <laughs> it's his right hand. Exodus 15, verse 2, so that, was, so that for the first one is that 
that his right hand is mentioned, and we know that Jesus is associated with being the right hand of God. The second point in verse 2, it says that Moses declares that Yahweh is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Another translation, if you read this in, in, in the actual Hebrew, it would, it would read that he has, become, he has become salvation to me. In other words, he has become Yeshua to me. So what is Yeshua? Uh, next, next slide. Yeshua is the Hebrew noun defined as salvation and deliverance, not excluding welfare and prosperity. Almost every place in the Old Testament when we see the words deliverance or, salva or salvation, the Jewish man or woman would hear the sound Yeshua when God would take upon himself the identity as the one who saves, the one who brings salvation, it's almost impossible to avoid the name that saves the very presence of Jesus throughout the scriptures. And just so, this, so some of us can catch on, let's, let's just take a, uh, a look at a few passages and hopefully this will connect you um, with the way, uh, will connect with you the way that it is connected with me. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23, and it's actually the next slide, did that to save some time. It says, sing to Yahweh all the earth, proclaim his Yeshua day after day. What is the New Testament application? Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Acts chapter 9, verse 20. And it reads, now for, now for several days, he, Paul, was with his disciples, was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. Paul declared Jesus in the synagogue day after day. Second Chronicles chapter six verse forty-one. Let's go back to the uh, back, back to the slide. Second Chronicles chapter six verse forty-one. Now arise, Lord God, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests, Lord God, be clothed with Yeshua, salvation. May your faithful people rejoice in your goodness. What is, the, what is the New Testament application? You can write this down. Galatians chapter 3, verse, verse 27. It says, for all of you who were baptized in Christ have closed yourself with Christ. Are you seeing the connection? Psalm chapter 74, verse 12. But God is my king from long ago. He brings Yeshua on the earth. If I, if, I, if I spoke Hebrew and I heard the name Yeshua, this would have caught my attention. This is why Yeshua, Jesus, can say in John chapter 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is these that testify about me. Yeshua is all over the Old Testament. I particularly like this passage in, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, which is the Great Commission before the Great Commission. We can go there real quick. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it says, he says, is it too small a thing that you shall be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation or so that my Yeshua may reach to the ends of the earth. The Apostle Paul cites the same passage in, in Acts chapter 13, verse, thir in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse uh, 47, and in Acts chapter 13, verse 48, he sa it says that when the Gentiles heard this, 
the same passage of Isaiah chapter 46, or 49 verse 6. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many, has been, and as, many as had been appointed to an eternal life believed. When we proclaim the name that saves, the name Yeshua, the name Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves upon the hearts of the people and they are saved because his name means he will save. When we explain to our children the meaning behind their names, it establishes the expectation on what they live up to. It places a demand on them in which what they, uh, what we are, what they are called uh, should align with their actions. So therefore, the name Yeshua, the name Jesus, when we preach his name and we, when we proclaim his name, it places a demand on God to deliver his people. How do we proclaim the name that saves? Because this is where the rubber meets the road. One, we have to be prayerful about preaching the name Jesus. And what I mean, what I mean prayerful, I mean in our daily prayers, we have to pray with the mindset of God let me meet someone who does not know who you are that I may share who, he, who you are with them. There was a time in my prayer life, and I started slipping a lot on this lately, but there was a time in my prayer life where every morning I would pray, Father God, who do you want me to speak to? Who do you want me to meet? Who needs to hear that Jesus saves? Who needs to hear a word from you? And it doesn't mean going out and being a, uh, and a, being a smith in the gospel. It doesn't mean being able to have all your, 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 your I's dotted and your T's crossed and knowing, you know, the point A, point B, point C, four, and point D. You know, in a, a Campus Crusade for Christ, they had like the four-point system. <laughs> you may not be that good, but having a heart having a mind that is so saturated with God. Who do you want me to see today? Who do you want me to speak today? God will give you the words to say. Yes. Yes. It may not even be the entire gospel. You may just simply say, you know what? God loves you. Jesus loves you. And that's enough to change somebody's life. I remember, you know, reading about Pastor Banks' testimony and how he said that, you know, where the guy didn't really do much, didn't really preach much, just saying, said, I don't want to say bank, but I... <laughs> but he simply said, you need God. That was enough to radically change his destiny. That wasn't enough to impact the destiny of many of us. Because had that person not preached that message, Pastor, I would not have been saved. You know how I know? Because the first time I gave my life to Jesus Christ was when Pastor Bank was preaching. That's how much of an impact, you, again, you don't have to know word by word, detail by detail, just saying what God has placed in your mind can radically, can radically change that person's life and then it will impact generations after him or her, because some of y'all women are slipping. We need to see some of y'all out there preaching too. Amen? Amen? Oh, be, oh, preaching the gospel ain't a man's thing. Don't let them, the first preachers in the Bible were women. Go and read. When Jesus Christ resurrected, the first people to testify were women. In a time where the testimony of women were not highly, was not highly considered was not highly respected. Preach the gospel. Pray, Father God, speak to me. Who do you want me to talk to today? Place it on my tongue. Who do you want me to see? When I used to pray this prayer, oh man, I used to talk to people who I had no expectations of sharing the gospel with. When you put God first, God puts you it puts you in that, it gives you exactly what you asked for. When you put him first, he speaks to you. Amen? Amen. So prayer. Acts chapter 2, if you read from verse 1 to verse 5, when they, when they, they prayed, 
Notice that Jesus didn't say, Jesus didn't resurrect and say, hey, just run out there and go, and, and, and go preach the gospel. He told them to wait. And they waited in the upper room. And the scripture says that they were praying and that there was a loud sound coming from heaven. They hadn't left the upper room, but it was enough to catch the attention of people who were just passing by. And from there, the birth of the church started. Amen. Or should I say the birth of the Messianic movement started at that moment, started with prayer. We have to be a people that are intentionally praying about being his witnesses. Amen? Amen. Amen. Nothing, nothing starts without prayer. You have to pray. Second thing is, we need to invest time learning the Word of God. Amen. You know that saying, you are what you eat? Right. You are what you read. <laughs> or should I say, you speak what you read. When, they, when I was younger, they would say, well, if you want to build your vocabulary, you grab a dictionary and you, and you, know, and you read all the words in the dictionary and, and, or you read as many books as you possibly can. And the more that you invest reading in those books, the more your vocabulary improves. The more you invest yourself in the Word of God, the more you become saturated with the knowledge of who He is. Because you're not just doing it just like you're reading a regular book you're picking up a book that is, that is this very spirit breathed out on paper. His very spirit breathed out on paper. And because you are praying at the same time, God is beginning to, who God will begin to reveal himself more and more to you through the very pages that he left us. Amen? Second, is it 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 16, verse 17, Paul wrote it to Timothy. This, is, this book is for correction, yeah. instruction. It was written by men who were inspired by God. So when you're reading the Bible, you're reading a book that is spiritual at, in its source. When you're praying, when you're reading the Word of God, you begin to do amazing things by declaring the person who saved you, the person who delivered you, proclaiming the name that saves. And then three, so you pray, you invest time in, his, in, in the Word of God. Three, you have to share. You have to share. You can share, of course, by doing the work of the Spirit, doing the work of God in your regular daily activities. If you're doing your, I think Pastor Sheena really uh, covered this very well. When you, whatever job that God has given you, whatever skill that God has given you, do it to the best of your ability. Do it actually to the best of God's ability within you. Do that and do it with excellence. But not only just doing the work, declaring the person who given you the ability to do the work. You know? I always tell people, any job that I get, and I let, whether it be believers or unbelievers, I let them know, I didn't get this job because of my own merits. I didn't. I got this job because God has placed me here. One of the things that kept me at, the, at, at my time uh, working with my last employer was you cannot move me until God says it's time to be moved. Amen. Because you gave me this, because God gave me this job, you didn't give me this job. So until, it's time, until God says it's time to go, I'm firmly planted right here. So do the work that God has, give, that God has given you to do whatever skills God has placed in your hand, I don't care what it is. You can be an excellent accountant. You can be an, an excellent physician. You can be yes. an excellent lawyer. Yes. You can be an excellent poet. You can be an excellent painter. You can be an excellent construction worker. Whatever skill that God has given you to do, make sure you do it to his glory, to his praise. Yes. While you're doing it, testify about God's goodness. On your job are people 
who are in need of hearing the gospel. God has placed you there not so that you can earn an income, but so that you can testify about him. Yes. Amen? Amen? It can be done. Prayer. Saturating yourself with the word of God. Three, doing or sharing the gospel through both your skillful labor and through your verbal communication. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you right now. We just glorify you, we give you praise, and we give you honor. In this place, Father God, we have many people who, uh, who you've called with the special gift of evangelism. And there are those here, Father God, who have never heard your gospel. We ask, Father God, in the name of Jesus, that you will speak to each and every person here, that you will touch them in the only way that you know how to touch them, that they become your evangelists, that they know who you are, that they declare the name that saves, the name of your son, Jesus, the name of your son, Yeshua. And Father God, I just pray in the name of Jesus for those that don't know you, I pray that you will continuously reveal yourself to them, that they will know you like they've never known you before, that if they haven't been convinced, Father God, we just pray in the name of Jesus that they will be convinced that only through Yeshua can they receive salvation you said in your word that there is no other name under heaven that which men, that men might be saved. It's interesting that the name that saves also means salvation. That if they believe upon that name, that name, Yeshua, you said in your word that you will save them. And Father God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that there won't be hesitancy, that there, won't be, that there will not be any holdback, that they will hear the words that were preached today and have a desire to know you. And as eyes remain closed, and, and as you think about the goodness of God and what he has done for you and where you are at this very moment, and you say, Brother Lee, I need to know Jesus. I need to know Yeshua. I need to know the name that saves. I need the person, I need to know the person who backs this name. Just simply raise your hand. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. We were all at this place at one time. You say, I need to know Jesus. I need to know him as my Lord and my Savior. Signify by raising your hand. God bless you. Do I have anybody else? Anybody else? Y'all give this man a round. Give Jesus a big praise. You don't know what he's been through, but God knows him. And him stepping forward is a testimony that God is in the saving business. Pastor Charles, could you lead him in prayer? Let's just give God a round of applause. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Oh,
we thank you for the word that we have just received. We especially thank you, Father Lord, for the life-changing pact of the knowledge of who you are. Thank you, Father Lord Jesus. Thank you for the vessel that brought the word. That, Lord, you are our salvation. Lord, we thank you and we receive the grace, the grace to pray, the grace to study your word, and the grace, Father Lord, to share. Thank you, Father, that in all things and at all times we will show forth who you are in all that we do. Lord, it's all about you. It's all about you. Jesus and nothing else added. Jesus, 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 all about you. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the vessel that brought your word. We pray that you will continually refresh him. Father, Lord, you will multiply your anointing and your grace unto him. As he has poured out, Father, Lord, we pray that you will replenish abundantly your word will never depart from his mouth his garments shall truly remain pure and white and his head shall never lack oil we thank you for his family thank you for the impact that you are using him to accomplish in this and future generations yet to come we ascribe all the glory and all the praise to you father as we pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise this afternoon. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is time for us to give. Hallelujah. It is time for us to give. 2 Corinthians 9, in verse 7, it says, So let each one, let each one of us give as the purposes in his or her heart. Not grudgingly, not of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. And in verse 8, he says, And our God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things, that you will have an abundance for every good work. This afternoon, I just want us, if you have not had the opportunity to give, let's just prepare our gifts and give to the Lord. Give cheerfully, give generously, give abundantly. For our God, our Father, gave us His all. Amen? He says that because... He first loved us. We're able to love on Him. Love is an action verb. Amen? So it's an action and a demonstrative verb. So this afternoon I'm asking you, or I'm encouraging you, show your love out of your substance. Show your love. Let's appreciate Him. He is the owner of, 
of the cattle upon a thousand hills. All the silver, all the gold, it all belongs to him. Amen? So all that we have and all that we own, he owns it all. So this afternoon, if you want to give, if you want to give by text, uh, the text number is 678-926-9529. 678-926-9529. If you want to give by cash app, you can give. The handle is the dollar sign walk fan. Um, and for those of us, for those of you that are online, we can give online at the website, walkfanusa.org forward slash give. And of course, you can write your checks out, make them out to WalkFan, and you can give cash also. Amen? Hallelujah. Are we excited to give this afternoon? I know it's kind of a little cold outside, and I'm just not feeling the excitement. I'm not feeling the excitement. Amen. Has God blessed you at all? Have you been blessed at all? Amen. So even if you do not, even if you do not have something tangible to bring, present yourselves. Present yourself to Him and say, Lord, here I am. So when the next opportunity comes around, I'm, I assure you, our God will make a way where you will be a part of the given. So let's not hold back. Let's give it all to Him. But it begins with giving of ourselves. Amen? Hallelujah. So let's just pray as we thank Him. Father, we just want to thank You. We give You the glory. We give You the praise, Father Lord. We thank You, Father, for Your grace. You said in Your Word, Father Lord, that You are able to make all grace abound towards us that we will always have sufficiency in all things. And so, Father, we thank you because you are the one that gives seed to the sower. You give bread to them that desire to eat, Father Lord. Thank you, Father. We acknowledge your sovereignty in all things. We recognize that all the silver, all the gold, it all belongs to you. And Father, we give this afternoon. We give liberally. We give cheerfully. We give knowing, Father Lord, that it will go towards the furtherance of your gospel. The gospel of the good news of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for meeting every need represented in this household. Father, that none shall go lacking in your house. We give you all the praise, Father. Thank you for increase. Thank you for promotions. Thank you for business opportunities that you are bringing our way, Father Lord. Thank you that this week, Father Lord, somebody in here will hear good news. And they will testify of Jehovah, Yeshua, the one who has done it. We give you the praise and the glory, Father. As we pray with thanksgiving in our hearts, in Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Hallelujah. Let's follow the usher's directions as we come to give. Amen. Friend, there will never be a friend as dead to me as you. There will never be
Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. This afternoon, we want to celebrate the the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Amen. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm reading from verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This afternoon as we partake of Holy Communion, we celebrate the delivery system of the finished work of Christ. We celebrate the completion of all of our healing. We celebrate 